Hey guys, what's going on? Your host, George Mackay. I'm here for another great episode, another great interview with somebody I've been going after for a long time. Finally, our schedule's linked up. I'd like to introduce Tyson Dukes. How are you, sir? Yo, man. Well, how's it going? I, uh, I feel as though this uh, phone tag, message tag, email tag, Instagram tag, I feel as though we've hit, covered all bases on this uh, back and forth exchange to finally get to this point. So I don't think people, I think people should really appreciate the fact of how hard we worked to get this thing done. Yes, absolutely. And I think when this interview is all said and done, I think they're going to get a great insight on you, your career and everything like that. And they're going to see how, how the host really never gives up. When he wants to get somebody in the show, he pursues it full force. <laughs> well, golden star for sure. Let's say that for sure. All right. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. So one of the first questions I always ask everybody, because it's something I'm generally interested in myself, is everybody in this business has that defining moment where they fell in love with this business wrestling that we're going to be talking about today. Do you remember your defining moment? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, There's been a few. I always got, I always got interviews to talk about the coloring book because my mom brought one home and it was the rock and wrestling WWF uh, coloring book. But uh, today, like a lot of people know that story, so I think what we'll do is uh, like my first um, real uh, experience with pro wrestling outside of that coloring book was I used to watch Grand Prix wrestling because I'm an East Coast kid. I'm from New Brunswick, the middle of uh, farmland, New Brunswick, and uh, I used to grow up on Grand Prix wrestling after the fact of this coloring book. Grand Prix wrestling is pretty old school let's grab a headlock for 10 minutes and then headlock dig over and the guy wins so um you know for a kid that's growing up that was great but my mind was completely blown um with the with performance level athleticism level of professional wrestling around the age of 10 when i got to watch uh, there was an NWA tag team tournament. And, like, in this tournament, they had all the countries. So they had, uh, for the States, they had Bam Bam Gordy and Williams and the Steiner brothers. For, like, Japan, they had Mr. Saito and Liger. Uh, Canada was Leo Burke and Chris Benoit. And it was the Leo Burke, Chris Benoit versus Saito and uh, Patrician Liger. Because when Patrician Liger and... Uh, Benoit got the ring together. It was unbelievable. It's stuff that you, like I, as a kid, had never seen before in my life. And it just put a whole new direction to this professional wrestling thing. Wow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those two guys in the ring, I could just imagine. I've never seen that match, but I can imagine just that it was probably a 10 for sure. Well, those guys, like, are so well-versed with each other back in the day. Like, uh, just you know, their knuckle-lock spot where they just hold the knuckle-lock and then the monkey flips and then the guy goes off and then he bridges and stuff. Like, just stuff that, uh, by today's standards, people would be like, no, oh, that was pretty good. But, like, you're talking about uh, a day and age where, like, tackles and body slams were finishes when I was younger. So when you get to see something of that caliber being done, it was just, uh, it was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And your inf your early influences, like, I mean, everyone's got their, their all-time favorites, uh, but do you have your all-time favorite? Did you have the early influences that really struck a chord with you, that connected with you, that were like, hey, listen, I, I'm going to model myself kind of after this guy, or I, I love the way this guy moves in the ring. Any any early influences that stick out to your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 I
early on, I would I would imagine that it would be uh, like when I left for wrestling school. Chris Benoit was my guy. Like I loved all of his stuff. I wanted to be just like him, like both in build and persona and work rate and all this stuff. So it was probably, but there were so many guys. Like I come from, I'm kind of one of those guys that just like everybody, even bad guys, good guys, don't matter. I just like professional wrestling, right? So when I grew up, man, I the spectrum was huge. Like I loved Steamboat, but then on the other hand, I liked Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I liked Hillbilly Jim. Like these are guys are completely different. Uh, styles all together, but it's just, I love pro wrestling, but the guy that I early on wanted to emulate would be Benoit. Okay, right on. Yeah, the Crippler is definitely a legend for sure. Um, so your training, I, I know from doing my research that you were trained by Scott Demore, Joey Legend, and Terry Taylor, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what was what was the training like? Like, what did you what did you guys focus on the most? I mean, because I, I've had the opportunity, the pleasure of actually seeing you wrestle uh, a few times, but more recently was recently at Chinlock in Kingston. I got to see you and your tag team partner, uh, Tarek. You guys faced Tommy Dreamer and Billy Gunn. It was a great match. It had all the makings of, of everything. It had a little bit of comedy. It had a little bit of, uh, you know, the fast-pacedness. It had a little bit of uh, giving the old-school guys their, their, you know, their spots. But in terms of the training, what did you focus on the most when you, when you started training? Fundamentals. Fundamentals in this business is one of these things that's overlooked completely, even by today's standards, because everybody's impatient and want to get to the next level. They want to do stuff that's cool instead of focusing on the, the stuff that's a little bit more, I guess, repetitious and boring. But like, unless you have a solid foundation, like you have nothing to stand on. You have no ground to be on. So uh, footwork was extremely important uh, and all the stuff that makes pro wrestling great. So knowing that uh, a hold can actually hurt you with pressure and how to roll out of that pressure and being able to apply it properly is one of the biggest uh, attributes that I have is Scott Moore was notoriously picky with uh, your fundamental drills and like your headlock takeovers had to be perfect and pristine. There was no um, variations of it. You just did exactly what you were like a placement. So your placement was uh, insanely structured and well, well done. Right. So like when I growing up, I just, you couldn't, you couldn't be more appreciative of um, people that gave you that kind of a setting in pro wrestling because Really, when the body starts to go and you can't flip or you can't run as fast or you can't jump as high, you can always rely on the basics of professional wrestling. And that's what's got me to this point so far, even. Nice. So in your early days, one of your original ring personas was the Muay Thai Kid. Uh, was that a gimmick that you kind of came up with yourself or was it kind of a brainchild of Scott, Terry, and uh, Joey? That was a brainchild of the promoter that I worked for named Joe Frockledge. That was my first ever thing. He just threw me in there um, as a young kid and had no direction. Um, and his big thing was he called everybody kid. They were in the Dynamite. They're like uh, I think he was a Dynamite Kid fan. So there was Pitbull Kid and there was me as the Muay Thai Kid. And there was an, another kid. I forget what he was called, but it was all about like Speed Kid or something like that. I, it was ridiculous. He had a thing for like Dynamite Kid being his his guy, I guess. So all of us had these names, and like when I was younger, 
before getting into pro wrestling, I used to box a wee bit, and I used to do martial arts. And it was, uh, Muay Thai was big at the time, I guess, um, people starting to understand what Muay Thai was, because UFC was very new and stuff like that. So when I when I came on the scene, they just, uh, hey, yeah, so what sports have you played? Well, I did a lot of martial arts. Said, what kind of martial arts? I'm like, ah, ja- like Japanese style karate. Wow, that's no good. That's boring. Let's <laughs> just call you the Muay Thai kid. And uh, it lasted maybe two tours. I was a Muay Thai, Muay Thai kid for about two two tours before I eventually, with the help of Joe Joe Legend, turning it into uh, Tyson Dukes. And I got to ask, because I was talking to one of my buddies, and I was telling him that we had finally locked the interview. And he said to me, man, I love Tyson Dukes. I wonder if he got the Dukes part from Bloodsport. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm going to ask. So did, did Dukes come from Frank Dukes from Bloodsport? As, as a kid, it was my favorite movie as a child. Nice. I had two VHS copies of Bloodsport, and I, I complete my VCR eventually ate them both because I wore them completely out. Bloodsport, as a kid, like Rocky and all the Rocky movies and stuff like that, Bloodsport was my number one movie. Yeah. Bloodsport, yeah. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, nice. Bloodsport, for me, for Van Damme, it's Bloodsport and Lionheart. I kind of flip back and forth between the two. Yeah, see, for lines, if we're going to talk Van Damme here for a second, okay. if we're going to talk lines and hilarious, it would have to be uh, Lionheart. But if we're just straight up splits and spin kicks, it's definitely uh, definitely Bloodsport. Yes. And then, oh, I guess for lines too, I guess if you're looking for like those quick stupid lines it would be a uh, double impact is another one of those another one of those bad boys where there's just it's just ridiculous i love that damn yeah, he's, Love that dude. he's uh, his his movies are pretty much the same, but yet you just you can't stop because they're just so awesome. They really are. They really are. They are awesome. These kids nowadays have no idea what awesome movies are all about because it's all it's so jam packed with special effects and stuff like that. This is all just dudes that were athletic and had good builds doing like choreographed fight scenes that they were just the best. Yeah, for sure. Those 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 movies. It's a lost art now. It really is. It's almost kind of like the, if you will, the fluctuation of wrestling because you you've got the action movies kind of coming into a surge, and now wrestling is kind of it's always kind of been there, but now it's it's kind of very pop culture again. Like we were really shined during the Attitude Era, and then it kind of had a stagnant period, and now it's kind of becoming uh, very very mainstream and pop culture once again with the mixture of. Uh, you know, WWE trying to get, uh, doing whatever they're doing. You got AEW coming into the fold. You got Smash in Toronto, which we'll talk about in a bit. Then you've got Impact uh, coming up out in Border City and stuff like that. So, at least in Canada anyways, I've noticed a definite resurgence in, in humongous popularity. Would you agree being kind of on the inside circle of most of these promotions? Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, work is more plentiful uh, there's more opportunities for younger kids to get out there and do their thing. There's shows every every single weekend. There's no and uh, like you said, they're like AEW starting. They have their own TV. They're back to being on TV. I believe on Turner, right? Like one of the Turner. Yeah, networks. they got signed to TNT. You're right. Yes, sir. So like we're just it's just WCW, like not WCW, but it's like the same thing all over again. It's just like nothing in life really. Um, ever really changes it just evolves and then it goes in a big circle and like professional wrestling is it comes and goes in waves so popularity will hit a peak 
uh, it'll go away for a little bit and then it'll just uh, it'll just come up again. It's just one of those things. Like you said, it's a pop pop culture type attitude kind of entertainment field. It's just going to resurface all the time. I don't know when uh, the wave will eventually crash again, but you might as well ride it while it's high right now. You know, you might as well just enjoy the ride. So I, I want to talk, if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk a little bit about your uh, kind of your, your WWE experience because you've had so many, uh, you've been on so many things. You have Heat, Velocity, you were on a couple, you, you appeared in a little bit of an angle on SmackDown in early 2003 where I believe you posed as a security guard and you were attacked yeah, by yeah. The Undertaker, stuff like that. That was 2002, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me versus uh, Undertaker getting hit in the head with his cast. Good day. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good day, especially being in. I mean, at that time, the Undertaker was the height of his peak, right? I mean, he was coming off the Attitude Era. He was doing the. I believe that was during the Dead Man Inc. phase when he rode the motorcycle, right? If I'm it not mistaken. Is, it is indeed the when he had the motorcycle out, and he was Brock Lesnar was his uh, his opponent at the time, and that's definitely where he was on a, on a real um, like business was still. It was about to take a turn, but business was still good around O2 when he was doing that. Yes, most definitely. So in terms of kind of being in, in a big promotion like that and working with so many of those creative minds and stuff like that, and maybe not in so much directly, but indirectly, and then kind of going back to the indie scene, do you see kind of a difference in the way things are kind of run? Because I understand that with WWE, there's so many hoops that you got to jump through, so many things that you got to you got to do to uh, to get um, to kind of get your thoughts or your opinions out there. Now I understand that it, what you weren't like a main roster guy per se, but in terms of seeing how that machine kind of runs and then going to the indie side of things, is it a big change to like to go to that machine and be like, "Wow, look at all these moving parts." That, you know what? It's uh, communication is key when you get to that level because how many how many people behind the scenes are working on different areas. Uh, like even the simplistic stuff of um, uh, like someone's hairstyle or makeup style or choices has to be in line with everything else. And this machine is huge. Like the, there's still no company like WWE just on production alone and staff and uh, just talent as in, um, like writers, creative, uh, everything, everything. Like, I mean, even just the guys that set up that ring and tear it down and put that structure together, those guys are, like, beyond talented and can fix problems or uh, when things come up, they fix stuff. Like, I, geez, they put uh, on a, what was it? I think it was SmackDown. It was a live uh, taping of SmackDown at Air Canada Center. They, we were uh, in a brawl with uh, Farouk and or Simmons at the time. It wasn't Farouk anymore. It was, uh, uh, Ron Simmons and Bradshaw against the FBI. And, of course, uh, it was me, Stevie Richards, uh, Canyon. Canyon was in there. Chris Canyon was there and a couple other indie guys. And I know he grabbed one indie guy, Farouk uh, did, and threw him through a wall, like smashed through air tennis center's wall so they had to repair that so they have guys come up and like by the end of the night have it uh repatched repainted and all this stuff like just phenomenal talent so you go to your uh, independent uh company and the ring crew 
is the wrestlers, the young guys trying to get on the show, and then all you have is maybe a hot dog guy, like, and then you have one, like, the wife is picking, like, getting the tickets, tearing the tickets for her husband who runs the show. It's a, it's totally different. Like, it's totally different. It's like comparing uh, McDonald's to the mom and pop canteen on the corner, like, just trying to make a buck off a burger. Right. Um, completely different, but, like, on the same respects, though, there's something so awesome and cool about being a part of the, the big stage and having those moments where it's like, holy cow, like, you can get no higher. This is, this is, the, this is where you want to be. But there's something else about going back home and doing independence and saying, you know, this is this is fabulous because this is where wrestling was birthed from, and this is before it was the machine, and this is stuff that uh, like is so small and so quaint and so nice. So there's two ways of looking at it. I guess uh, both ways. Uh, like I guess if you're driven to be a superstar, um, only WWE would uh, catch your fancy. But if you're just in love with professional wrestling, you, know, you just love um, either moment. Either moment is wonderful, you know. Yeah, absolutely. They all have they all have their pros and the cons, and they have something kind of for everybody, which is one of the things I love so much about this business. Is the reason why I started this podcast because I, I have a lot of knowledge about you know the history and the ups and downs in the industry. But for me, it was a matter of sitting down with just great talent and talking about the business and the conversations that I've had have been amazing thus far, and the people that I've met. And now I can definitely cross you off my list, so that's pretty cool. But in terms of your wrestling school, I want to touch on that for a minute because I know the career that you've had and, and all the research that I've done and, and kind of where you've been. And, and then you started up uh, Wrestling Factory. What is kind of like the one major point of advice that, let's say if I was a, a brand new student coming in for the first day, what would be the one major factoid that we would talk about right from the get-go to make me, you know, say, hey, listen, this this is for you or this isn't for you, but you've got to, you know, you've got to be 100% committed. What would you say to me if I was a new student walking in? Uh, the, the first thing I always say, and the only thing I really, on their first day, is kind of an easier day. It's not, I try not to overwhelm a human being that much on their first initial setup. But I will say on uh, that I will never, ever close the door to anybody. I don't feel as though um, it's my right to ever stand with, like, stand in somebody's way of, achieving their dreams that this is something however if this is something you want to do if it's something that um like really this is all you want to do and this calls to you you have to put in the work like i don't i don't care if you're talented i don't care if you're super ripped or in great shape i don't care if you're eight foot tall I, it doesn't matter to me I, like all that stuff is just it either can be improved or it can be uh, uh, improved for sure, or like it can be squandered. And all it comes down to is mental attitude of wanting to work hard. I know lots of guys who could backflip and do 450s uh, on, on a dime that I just had such a terrible mind and so lazy for the business that uh, never went anywhere. And I've had guys in there that were 60 to 70 pounds overweight, uh, could barely breathe, could barely get through a round of uh, push-ups and sit-ups, uh, and then excel because this is all they want to do, and they know the way to get there is by just a sheer amount of God-forsaken hard 
work, and that's basically that's what it comes down to. Like anybody can, anybody in the, in this world can do whatever they want. All they have to do is put in the time, the effort, and uh, just focus on uh, just a ton of work and the patience to go along with all that work. For sure. No, you're you're 100 percent right in that, and I think that's that's the best answer that I've heard thus far, and and that's the the truth of the matter. In terms of yourself. I know your family, man. How is it balancing work, the wrestling school, family time? How does that, like, what is the, 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 the mental toughness that you have to have to go through that? Because I've talked to a couple legends. I've talked to a couple, um, you know, young guys coming up. I've talked to the guys kind of in the middle of things. And then I, now I'm talking to somebody like you who's, who's definitely very, very experienced. In terms of the mental toughness that you have to be sometimes to be away from your family from weeks, maybe months on end. To come back and, and balance school, this wrestling school with it, plus your own career. How do you find the time for all of that? Well, some things, I always say it's kind of a jokey thing that I say. Some things have to be left behind. So um, to make sacrifices in, in this business, because it is a sacrifice to get to where you want to go, uh, some things need to take a back seat. Um, I'm a firm believer now as I get older is that I'm not going to put my family in the back seat, or I'm going to put my own career or my own, um, what I want to do because it's not good for you. Like spiritually as a human being, it's not good for your soul to just imprison yourself in your own mind. It's not good either. So like both ways, and then it wouldn't make me a good family man anyways, if I was like that. So the real thing is you just got to decide um, what it is that needs to take it out of the picture. So for like with me, it's I like constantly have to be and some days it's not easy. It's not like I'm perfect, but a lot of days my my days have to start out. I have to have everything planned. <laughs> like I have to have everything from the night before planned for the next day. And that and that goes on for another day and another day, depending on my schedule. So my son knows, like I'll sometimes come home with him at nighttime and I'll just talk to him and he probably thinks I'm crazy because I'll just list all the stuff from getting up in the morning to getting uh, our little guy, his brother, ready for school or daycare to getting my son to school, to getting to work, to getting him back from school, uh, and then getting to the school, and meanwhile, getting my meals in, getting my workout in, and stuff like that. So I had to put a mental list together every day just to keep on time, because time, as you said, is very, very important and very, like you can't, you, there's um, not much time to squander. Another thing I do is I don't, uh, my sleep suffers, so like I said, sacrifices need to be made. I'm not sacrificing my time with my children or my wife as much as I can, or I'm not going to uh, squander my time with uh, my school, my training, all that stuff. So what I do is I get less sleep than other people, and I don't watch TV. Like when I have a minute to watch TV, it's usually super, super late at night, and then if I want to wind down, I might watch a little bit of TV, something on Netflix or something like that, but I do not have time to either binge watch stuff on TV or spend all day watching because I've, I've just lost a complete day. So really it comes down to just, you know, like I said, like hard work, um, 
and you always have to be one step ahead of the game. Uh, and that's what I do. That's how I keep my balance because without balance, you, you'll just spiral out of control. And then there's what, what, what do you have when you have no control? You have nothing. You all have nothing and you will lose everything. So that's what I do. Yeah. And I was actually there at Chinlock. Uh, we, we met, you and I had just taken the picture and there was a moment you shared with a couple little boys beforehand and I thought it was super cool. They were, I actually met them throughout the event that day. Their mom, Crystal, super sweet lady, the two boys. One of them, uh, I believe, is um, uh, special needs. In terms of, you know, having the fans like that, I saw, like, how they were jacked for you. They had the shirts that said, Titus is going to kill you. It was amazing. It was super cool. But in terms of when you see the fans like that who really, you know, invest themselves in you, what kind of a feeling is that to, to, to know that there are fans that live and breathe vicariously through you and everything you do? That's got to be a surreal feeling. Yeah, you know what? It really, it really is. I don't now. Usually, I try to stay as humble as possible and just never. I never really reflect on it, or do I ever really uh, give it much thought? I just enjoy the people that I uh, I I. Um, I talk to and I, I have conversations and interact with. I like these people a lot. So it's never really a situation where I look at it like, oh my God, like they have a shirt of me. But like, <laughs> really, it's funny that people, um, you're kind of like a beacon for these people as they are for you. So to charge my batteries up sometimes with uh, somebody positive, a smile or somebody's face or someone lighting up or being entertained, it does just as much uh, for me as it does for them when I'm wrestling and doing what I do uh, for them to come up and say, hey, you know, I made this shirt, has you on it, you're my favorite and stuff like that. Um, it's not about it's not about boosting my ego. I like I like to keep my ego as far away from my career as possible. But I do enjoy having my batteries um, charged again, like my my mental my mental positivity charged by these people. Because really, we just it, you give and take in a, in any conversation. You can either be a giver and just give uh, a little bit to that person or you can be negative and take away from that person and you will you will drain a a little bit of their life force if you are constantly one of those negative human beings like you will suck the life out of people so it's always good with the road being hard and being exhausting and being long and stuff like that and lonely it's good to have people like that that you can just kind of rely on as they rely on you that being said, I got like there's cool times where I've met kids um, through wrestling and like years ago because my career is now uh, in August as of as of August will be 22 years. Congratulations, uh, for, sir! Congratulations. Thank you. Professional wrestling for 22 years, and uh, when you look at that, like that's a long span of time. So I've met kids that have been really young, so super young kids that have come come and watched me over the years. And now I've watched grown young men come up and say, hey, you know, there was a show years ago in, like, middle of nowhere, Ontario, and you were the, the bad guy, or you were the good guy, uh, and you, I watched you wrestle, and it was awesome, and then after the show, you gave me a fist bump, even though you were a bad guy, you gave me a fist bump, and, like, I never forgot that, and I've decided that all I want to do is do wrestling, 
you know, or like, or like you told me to do push-ups. If you want to get big and strong, do push-ups. And like now I'm, uh, you know, uh, like I compete in bodybuilding competitions, all kinds of walks of life. It's not just pro wrestling, but it is so cool to see over time the effects that you will have on people. It's kind of neat. And with all the good that there is and all the positivity in our business and how the fans are just so genuine and very passionate, there's always a little bit of negative. You always have those fans that kind of take it to the extreme. You ever kind of had a situation where a fan has gone over the top in antics with you? Uh, yeah, not, not per se. Like, I usually keep uh, people at bay. Um I know the people that I'm, I'm a people watcher. I watch people a lot. So I don't usually tend to have too many instances where um, I feel as though something got super out of hand or I'll shut it down before it gets out of hand. I know that when I was younger and I, I was a little bit more naive and a little bit gullible to people like uh, like internet being one of these things, these miraculous tools, but also an awful weapon. Um, that could really affect you. I know that there was times when people would start talking to me and I wouldn't know them from a hole in the ground and then they would be talking about my two older sons and they'd be talking about their birthdays coming up and stuff like that and stuff that would just kind of weird me out. Um, like this, Those are the kind of situations where you kind of want to pull away a little bit. But for the most part, I try not to let any of that stuff affect me. And I got to realize that, like, nobody um, nobody is going to come out, like, not to be naive. And, like, no one's going to come after my children because I'm right there. I'm, like, I'm right there. There's nothing, not an issue there. But it's just, it's odd. It's, uh, people are, uh, people sometimes need more than others. And so maybe they um, try a little bit harder or get a little bit more. Uh, intense with conversations and stuff like that, but there's never been a situation where I haven't come out on top of it or had it controlled. So I've been fortunate that way because I know that there's been instances like in the past with lots of different human beings where they, um, like it just does not go that way. It's uh, usually an unfortunate event. Yeah, for sure. One thing I actually do want to talk about, I I interviewed Bianca Corelli. Uh, not too long ago, and she had a lot of wonderful things to say about you. And when I told her I was going after you, she told me that it would take a while to get you, and it did, because <laughs> you're very busy. But uh, one of the things she mentioned is when her dad actually approached her to be like, hey, listen, I-, I want you to wrestle. And she came to you, and she said, you know what, I don't know if I'm ready. And she said the one piece of advice that you said to her that stuck out to her was like, hey, listen, if your dad thinks you're ready, and I also know that you're comfortable in there, and you're safe in there, and you're going to be great in there, You've got to learn to take the leap, in her words. Uh, when, when, when one of your students comes to you and says, you know, I got this opportunity, it may not be a legend's daughter or a second generation star, but in terms of a student comes to you and says, hey, listen, a promoter approached me, they saw my tape, or I, I did a, a rough indie show a couple weeks ago, and they want me to come back and do this. If it's a, a, a promoter, say, maybe you haven't heard of, or an upstart, do you kind of tell them, maybe wait and hold off for, for something a little bit more legitimate? Or do you tell them, you know what, take the leap. Go there. Go there for the experience. Go get your feet wet. See, now, that, that's a great question. And, like, back uh, 15, 16 years ago, I would ask them to make more questions, find out more from whoever worked for them. 
because uh, it used to be word of mouth. Uh, so I would ask somebody, hey, how's this promoter? Did you get paid? Was it a good experience? Did you Were you treated right? Stuff like that. Nowadays, we have this contraption called the computer and internet, and it's on my phone, and I can find out instantly where someone's going and who is running it, and I can find out who they've used in the past, and I can go from there. Like, I can make uh, the right kind of moves. And now, as as I get older, that's part of the teachings that I teach, is, like, you should never, ever, ever go into a situation when it, you are the business. Your business is you and your body. Um, you should never go into a situation where you don't know the situation. You should always uh, assess where, where you're going, what you're doing, uh, and be ready for anything. And then you should be doing your homework. I always tell them, like, how you can't get, go through school without doing homework. You can't. It's the same with pro wrestling. You're in school right now. Do your homework. Because even at my age of 41 now, I never go into a promotion. I never go into a situation with a new a guy that I've never wrestled before with the arrogance of not looking him up and seeing what um, what he's about and what he does. And that's not coming from a place of danger. I don't feel as though I'm ever in a spot where I can't handle myself. That comes from a spot of like being a professional and wanting to have the best outcome of what we're supposed to do over the course of the evening. Um, so it's the same with these kids. Um, leap of faith, yeah, some days there are leaps of faith, but I, I say those leaps of faith when it comes to stuff like WWE wanting you to do a tryout or um, those kind of situations where impact comes up, uh, should I go? Yes, yes, you should go. Take that leap of faith trust in your abilities but when it comes to being on other type promotions or even if it's a little bit bigger always just do your homework it's all about it's just as simple as that and one other question that i i, I want to ask because it, it's something that intrigues me from a long time from you being a coach has there ever been a student that's walked into your school and you've you've kind of you know you've given them the once over and you looked at him and you said you know i think you're, you're going to be, you know, once we get into this and we get the train down, you're going to be a really good powerhouse. And the student may look at you and say, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not really feeling the powerhouse. I'm feeling more of the, the high flyer. And then you kind of like, well, you know what? Let's, let's work on here before we jump to the high flying. And then maybe they, they go ahead and, and at one point in time where they have a moment, they show you that they can do it. And it's like, wow. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should try this instead of that. Like, has there ever been a moment where a student, you looked at a student and said, you know what? I think the powerhouse game is more you, more of a, I don't know, as an example, off the top of my head of Bobby Lashley, but then they come out and they show you that they can fly around the ring like a Seth Rollins or even a bigger guy that can fly around the ring like a Kevin Owens. Has there ever been a situation where a student's kind of shown you something that you, you may have not seen yourself and been like, wow, man, you, you, you impressed me. You taught me something today. Every time, every day, every day. I like. I mean, I, I do that on a consistent basis now. Where someone, the human beings, will constantly come out of there and surprise you. All you have to do is be willing to um, work with them in whatever facet they want to work on. Uh, not saying that my way is always the right way. Isn't uh, the attitude I have? I kind of want to uh, like be on their level and see where they're where they're good at it you know what i mean so like i never have a situation where i'm like hey you're just going to be a big old guy 
just do big guy stuff. I always wait and see what they're interested in, who their role models were, and then we just kind of go from there. I, I've done it multiple times, and like it's, it's still to this day, even with that kind of an attitude where you just uh, take people at face value and you just let them do them and see where their talents are. It's all about angles and talent. Some people are good at some things, and some are good at other things. Um, so, like, I just take them as they are and then see where we go. But even with that, even with that kind of attitude I have, it will shock you. It will. I got a guy right now who's six foot six and can spring up in the air like he's like Ray Mysterio. It's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. If I had a higher ceiling for him, I imagine he would be like, so like, just so far in the air. It's ridiculous, but that's just. That's just how it is, and that's that's what makes the, uh, the wrestling game such an entertaining uh, line of work. Because you just don't know, you just don't know what you'll you'll get until they uh, until they they decide to try. Right on. That that's that's also a fantastic answer as well. This interview's been amazing thus far. Again, thank you so much for the time. One other question I do have, actually, two more questions, and then I think we're pretty much wrapped up for today because I want you to get back to your family time. Uh, in terms of intergender wrestling, it was kind of there during the first Monday Night War. Then it kind of faded away. Now it's kind of coming back into the mainstream. What are your stance? Because I've asked a few legends. They've given me their opinions. And I've asked a couple of other people because it is a little bit of a hot-button topic. What is your thoughts on intergender wrestling right now? Uh, you know what? I'm, I see the reason why these, uh, I love this kind of a topic. Because this is one of those things where um, it, it is so heated. Like, it can be uh, a heated, heated conversation between two uh, usually civilized, two, like, guys or a guy and a girl having these conversations. It can be one of these things that uh, can break down and become very, very ugly, which is, and, and you know what? More, like, I'm all about these kind of conversations because all you have to do is... Like I said, you you need balance in life. I I feel as though intergender wrestling has its place as any kind of wrestling uh, does because it is the circus. We talked about that earlier. We were talking about the variety of there's high flyers, there's strong men, there's all kinds of different acts. There's characters, and then there's uh, serious guys. Like and so it all has its place. And intergender wrestling is no different than your high-flying act or your strongman act or your dead man versus uh, like a, a pimp act. There's no, there's no difference. It is still just pro wrestling. Um, I do see uh, where people would be taken back by it and kind of seeing it as a negative um, in the ways of violence towards women. Um, but listen, people people are going to make their own minds up. It has nothing to do with if someone's going to punch a woman in the face. It's not because he watched pro wrestling and decided that uh, you know, oh, he got to punch that chick in the face. I'm just going to do the same thing. Like that's not how society works. As much as we're so backwards in thinking nowadays, and we're so hyper. Uh, aware and trying to protect everybody and stuff like that. It, intergender wrestling is not affecting people negatively if it's done properly and if it's done tastefully. But that's the same as anything. 
That's the same as anything in any walk of life or any culture or any kind of aspect of entertainment. You can have um, a version that is uh, in poor taste or you can do something that is very entertaining and, and like might walk the gray line of stuff. But like the gray line is where you want to be. You want to make people a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, but you don't want to go over that line. So intergender wrestling with me, I, I give it the thumbs up. I, however, like don't get me wrong though, I'm not a fan of guys and gals taking it too far, maybe doing stuff that might be inappropriate. If there's children in the audience. I think people should know where to draw the line with it and how much, how far they can go with it and where, how to proceed. WWE is a massive, massive company that is publicly traded. So yes, there is going to be a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a pushback on that because we're talking about a billion dollars on the line, right? Mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. sponsorships and like all this stuff and the people paying into stock and stuff. So, I understand that part completely, but I also understand like uh, like uh, Joey Ryan versus Tessa Blanchard. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Like I haven't like that's a that's a match that happened, and I know that those are the kind of matches that are funny, entertaining, and do well. Like like Lucha Underground, some of their best matches on there is the the mix mixed stuff that they did with the intergender having uh guys and cows uh, fight each other um so yeah like i said it's just and like i think people are so so super sensitive and then some are so so completely insensitive because people are so sensitive i just feel as though if everybody would just walk with a a little bit of a cool head and just let balance be the the mainstay in any conversation or any action i think it would be a much better world really i i couldn't agree with you more and sir my final question before i let you go everyone has that dream match every wrestler has that one person they'd like to tear it up in a ring with if you have the ability to pick anybody in the wrestling business right now that you could get in a ring with and have any kind of match who would it be uh, you know what? I would have to say, um, now, now as I'm getting older and stuff like that, the guy that's still in there and still doing stuff in professional wrestling is uh, Tanahashi. Um, I got to work with Nakamura in Windsor for Border City, and I think um, along the lines of like I wanted, I want to wrestle guys like that are um, young boys of Kobashi because Kobashi was always such a huge influence on me as well as I got into professional wrestling, uh, and Misawa and those guys, like I'm a very Japanese based guy. Like I love that stuff, but I would say my, my dark horse would have to be, uh, Tanahashi. Tanahashi would be the guy. Cause that's the guy, even though he's, you know, he's a little bit more banged up like years later and stuff like that. But he is the guy that brought all Japan back from the ashes just like just an unbelievable talent an unbelievable storyteller uh just the most like without a doubt i can watch tanahashi matches until i'm done done this career and done in life you know he's just one of those guys that has set himself apart and he's unbelievable so if i could have one guy that would probably be my guy 
That's that's amazing. I love the answer. I love everything. Tyson, again, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit down with me today. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I hope you had fun. And I want to let you know that you are now officially a member of the Straight Talk family. Anytime you want to come back on the show, you just call me and we'll set it up all over again. Sweet, brother. It'll only take us three months to get there, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tyson Dukes, thank you very much. You go enjoy your night, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was Tyson Dukes, man. That was killer. I had so much fun on this interview today. We talked about a whole lot of stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, don't forget to tune in next week for another kick-ass episode. I'm your host, George McKay. Thank you so much for listening. And that's all for this week. Straight Talk Wrestling. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Also follow us on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And for all our merchandise, you can search us on ProWrestlingTees.com. Thank you.